The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, everybody, and welcome once again to Afternoons with Mike right here on The Shepherd Radio. So honored to have a second-time guest with me today. Dr. James Spencer from the D.L. Moody Center is back on the line today. He was with me a number of months ago, and uh, it, it seems like yesterday, but boy, uh, time is flying by already at the end of the year. Welcome back, sir. It's nice to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Really appreciate it. You know, this has been one of those crazy seasons where so many uh, people are out and about and uh, things are kind of winding down. I know you're up in the Northeast. How is it looking up there? Oh, you know, it's always beautiful. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> you know, the weather up here, it doesn't really matter what the weather is. Uh, the landscape makes it worth it. You know, I've heard that. I've never really been in your area before but I've heard that it is just absolutely beautiful. Even though you're near the coastline, uh, not terribly far, I guess, uh, a lot different than, than our view of the coastline down here. It's much, yeah, a, we're on yeah, a we're right Connecticut river. And so, um, you know, we have a, we have this beautiful overlook at the DL Moody center and, um, it's, it's sort of in between a couple of mountain ranges, but right there in the, in the, on the, on the banks of the Connecticut. So it's a real pretty spot. I bet it is, sir. And it is uh, something that you've been about for some time, studying the work of D.L. Moody, obviously the namesake of the center uh, for which you are uh, involved as the president. And you're also the author of a book uh, entitled Useful to God, Eight Lessons from the Life of D.L. Moody. Uh, I know that uh, we talked a bit about your writing uh, that's a big part of what you love to do, right? It really is. And I mean, you know, D.L. Moody has been or has become, I would say, over the last four years, a real inspiration for me. Uh, you know, when you think about um, characters in Christian history who have uh, done a great job just of following God faithfully, of submitting themselves to him and uh, not that these are perfect people, but that they've really just sort of sold themselves out following God, D.L. Moody has to rank fairly high on that list. And so he's been a fascinating character to, um, to read about. Uh, the period of history in the United States is fascinating on its own. I mean, he lived through the, uh, the Civil War, through Reconstruction and, and uh, segregation. Um, women's suffrage was an issue at the time. So it was, um, you know, uh, the abolition of alcohol. And, and so He's had all these different social issues that he's that are sort of swirling about him during his lifetime that are just fascinating to read about. And then to be able to dive into some of his personal letters and papers and different writings um, has just been a real joy and blessing. Um, as I said, since I started at the Gale Moody Center four years ago, I've really been uh, taking some time to learn more about him. So it's been a great a great time of study and uh, just. I would say, personal spiritual growth for me um, uh, as well. That sounds wonderful. I'm sure it has been. You know, sir, when I think about uh, what America is going through right now, and I know many people m 
that are adult age, been around, say, the born in the 50s or 60s or 70s even, uh, it's so easy to think of America as it was when they were born or when they grew up, and then they look at the problems that our country is enduring right now, and it's almost like this nation in their mind or our minds never had the kind of problems before. But what you mentioned, just that short list of what uh, of uh, what D.L. Moody went through, he went through some pretty big league problems in this nation in its early years. And so this is not the first time around for America to go through difficulties, right? No, it's, it's sort of amazing to look back at American history and realize that so many of the problems that we're dealing with now are echoes of some of the things that we've dealt with in the past. So even if we look at things like religious liberty or um, I know when I was teaching a, a class here in the past uh, year or so uh, during the pandemic and something like the mandatory vaccines came up, uh, looking around at old historic legal cases, you even have uh, you know legal cases that um, the federal courts found that states could mandate vaccines in during the smallpox pandemic, mm-hmm. even against religious liberty, if a public threat were established. And, and so, you know, when we are in the moment, it sort of feels like we're in this, this space where everything is sort of slipping out of our grasp. But when we look at it historically, we're probably just in, you know, some other iteration uh, of the same sort of tumultuous problems that come when you live in a pluralistic society um, where a lot of people with different views are trying to come together and, and negotiate their rights, figure out the direction of the country. And, um, you know, this may very well just be part and parcel of what it means to be, uh, you know, a a government of the people, by the people and for the people. So uh, that's not to say that there aren't any changes, but it is to say that um, we have historical precedent for many of the things that we're dealing with. And when D.L. Moody lived through those, I, I really love his emphasis on just, hey, Christians, let's not forget that the one message that we can convey, the gospel, no one else can convey. And how true that is and how needed that is in a time like this, as it was for him in the time he lived. But it is so easy, isn't it, to kind of lose sight of the main thing. Uh, Someone once said, you got to keep the main thing the main thing. And I think that's good wisdom. That's good advice for us all. Yeah, I think uh, oftentimes we can lose perspective and we begin to think that the urgencies of the day are uh, more urgent than discipleship, more urgent than obeying God, more urgent than following after Christ. And that's not really the case. You know, for Christians, we always get to be patient because we know that we have eternal time on our side. Right. Um, We don't have to be defensive because we know that we have inherited a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so we can approach these issues that we face on a day-to-day basis, knowing that at the, in the end of it all, um, the only true solution to death is the resurrection. And we know the only, uh, you know, person in history who can, uh, you know, sort of help us reach God and be resurrected from the dead, and that's Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think those are the things that we need to focus on, not, uh, not just agreeing to play the games that the world wants us to play but really looking at the world with, um, you know, eyes that see and ears that hear and, uh, and walking as closely in, 
as closely as we can in an imitation of Christ and just allowing our desires and our attitudes and our posture toward the world to be framed in accordance with who Jesus is. That sounds so great. That's something that we should all be following. You know, when you look at the kind of uh, man that D.L. Moody was and the life lessons that he learned in his time as he was walking uh, his faith walk out, looking to the Lord, not forgetting evangelism, not forgetting the gospel, like you said, uh, it is so important that we be inspired in our heart that we remember that the power of the gospel has not diminished one iota since D.L. Moody was around. Back in that day, we can do the very same thing in our generation, right? That's right. You know, and one of my favorite quotes from D.L. Moody, it's in the preface to a book he wrote called To the Work. And he says this, he says, during the years I have been privileged to labor for God, I have strongly and increasingly felt that the task of arousing Christians to a deeper sense of their responsibility is even a more important one than that of the simple evangelist. And he goes on to talk about how having a hundred people going out to do the work is far better than, than one person going out to do the work. And, and I really believe that that's the message that he was trying to drive home in his ministry, trying to get other Christians to come along with him and to do what God had called them to do. And so every generation, every moment, every situation, Christians always have the opportunity to follow Christ. And it's the best opportunity we have. It is the best strategy we can offer. It's, it's the most, it's the wisest thing we can do in any situation at any given time. And so if we can focus in and, and really become good at just following Christ, regardless of the situation, I think that we will really show the world the gospel in addition to proclaiming it widely um, through our evangelistic efforts. You know, for someone that has studied him the way you have, I, I would love just to toss this hypothetical question out to you, just wondering, from all your studies and all of uh, your watching the life of D.L. Moody as he faced this problem or that or that challenge, uh, what do you think, how would his approach be in a day like today in this world of transgenderism and teaching about gender and confusion on so many fronts about what should be the very basics or the easy, understandable things of life. Uh, it seems like we've made this thing so convoluted uh, for our kids that anyone in public school right now has to really watch over their children because of what is being taught. What do you think D.L. Moody would have said about some of these things? You know, I think D.L. Moody was, uh, he, this was a, a bane and a blessing for him, depending on the issue, but he very much stayed away from any of the sort of politicized issues of the day. So something like women's suffrage, he didn't really weigh in on. Um, the abolition of alcohol, he was evidently against, but he didn't really go on the warpath against bars and, and the sale of alcohol. Hmm. Um, when it came to the abolition of slavery and um, post-Civil War segregationist and Reconstruction uh, sort of politics and those kind of things, he tried to stay out of that as much as possible. And I think part of the reason that he did that is because he didn't want to be distracted by the political issue. He recognized that there's a certain space for politics, and he wasn't called to that. He, he saw politics as important for restraining evil. But what he wanted to do was transform 
individuals and transform souls. And so I think that he would have shied away from the debates that we often have, not because he thought those debates were unnecessary, but because he realized that he was not well suited for those debates. Mm -hmm. And so I think what Dion Moody, I think the advice he would give to the vast majority of Christians is just this, stay in your lane, right? Where God has called you, be a light and witness to the gospel in that place. You know, don't try to overreach and overthink and overunderstand or overexplain. Don't don't try to be something you're not. Just follow Christ where you are and allow him to work through you in that. Don't concern yourself so much with all these sort of trumped up political conversations. Hmm. Just convey the gospel through your own life. And I really believe that that simple strategy was the almost the secret sauce of D.L. Moody's ministry. Um, this was a guy who did not have much formal education, probably no more than a fifth grade education. He was a lifelong learner, mm-hmm. grew up poor, was a salesman, but ultimately just did the things that were right in front of him that no one else was doing and ended up building this sort of extravagant ministry out of it. I mean, impacting millions and millions of people around the world through his ministry. And it was simply by staying in his lane and doing what only he could do. And so I, I think if I were giving people advice today, um, you know, if you don't, if you don't feel like you're, you know, you're uh, being called to sort of be an apologist within the LGBTQ or the transgender or or whatever other conversations you're being called in, I'm not saying not to be informed, but there's no real reason for all Christians to dive in on this. I think what the the real crucial part is for all Christians to be diving into the gospel, to be right. diving into evangelism, to be diving into Christian testimony. And if those things happen to come along as a consequence, great, address them. But we don't need to be sort of pressing against the culture, all of us, all the time. We really need to be focusing in on building the kingdom all the time. It really is easy, isn't it, to kind of lose the the passion and the conviction to evangelize people who you see as an, if you see them only as an enemy to our soul and and we're called to love and to uh share the gospel with these people who are maybe at the very forefront of some of these terrible issues. I know that it I agree with you. It's not that these things aren't important because if you're a parent of a child that's being taught at school uh, to have a question about his gender or her gender, that that automatically gets you into the fray a little bit. So some of these moral issues we're we're having to face right up front. But I believe you're right when you say that we can't get out of our lane. We can't forget, and I I think that's happening to so many people today. They forget the power of the gospel in the middle right. of an argument like this, and it it can suddenly feel like you're fighting a battle all by yourself it's us against them when it's actually the lord's battle isn't it yeah i mean we we partner with a a group called um, the pocket testimony league and um, they send out uh, pocket gospels of john and they just challenge believers uh, to hand out those gospels of john to unbelievers and allow god's word to do its work and they get thousands if not tens of thousands of testimonies a year of just unbelievers reading the gospel of john and coming to faith in christ now on any level on any sort of rational 
hey, let's convince people to become Christians. Let's have a rational argument. That makes almost no sense just to hand out a gospel of John and trust that people are going to read it. And yet God's word does its work, even when it doesn't make sense to us. That's right. So I'm not saying that we should throw it all out. I agree with you. These things are important. I think they're proximally important. You know, they're near-term important to us. And what I'd encourage is to sort of nest that near-term importance in a long-term or eternal importance that can only be conveyed by the gospel. Great advice from Dr. James Spencer. Uh, In a moment, after this break we're about to take, we'll be talking about the holiday season and the fact that a lot of us can get hindered during the holiday season uh, for many different reasons, busyness, travel, and unfortunately, there's a lot of sickness going around, and we can take our eyes so very quickly off of the main thing. And uh, I want to talk to you about that because I know that you speak to that a lot in uh, this book that you've written, which we're going to be discussing in just a moment. This is Mike Gillen, and this is Afternoons with Mike on the Shepherd Radio Network. We will be right back. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando, offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Back on the line with Dr. James Spencer from the D.L. Moody Center. And for our listeners that may not have heard the first time you were with me, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about the location for this. Uh, I think a lot of people wrongly think that because of uh, the Moody Center in Chicago, they would think that that's where this is because of the Moody Church being there. Uh, But that's not the case, right? Right. I mean, D.L. Moody did a lot of things all around the nation, including founding a school in Chicago that's still around called the Moody Bible Institute and uh, the Moody Church, which is named after him. But he grew up, uh, was born, grew up and lived a lot of his life. uh, I would say the vast majority of his life in a small western Massachusetts town called Northfield. And uh, the story generally goes that when D.L. Moody decided to uh, devote his life to uh, evangelistic campaigns and begin traveling a little more widely, that his wife, Emma, uh, wanted him to move back to Northfield so that he had a place to rest when he wasn't doing all of his evangelistic campaigns. And uh, true to D.L. Moody's nature, uh, when he moved back to Northfield, uh, (laughs) he didn't rest. Uh, He founded two schools. Uh, high school, <laughs> like boarding schools, uh, you know, sort of um, prep schools almost, we probably think of them today. Uh, one for girls called the Northfield Seminary, and one for boys called Mount Hermon School for Boys. And the D.L. Moody Center is on the adjacent to the campus where the Northfield Seminary uh, was originally founded. We actually uh, own one of the buildings, one of the first buildings that uh, D.L. Moody ever built for that seminary specifically. And, and we, uh, we work to preserve not only his, uh, his old home, um, but the home in which he was born and uh, a lot of the property that is, uh, is there in Northfield right now. Mm-hmm. In addition to founding the school, D.L. Moody also built a 2300 seat auditorium 
in Northfield, Massachusetts. Now, Northfield, that, had, that had to be just like unheard of back then, right? Oh, it's crazy. And I mean, Northfield is not a large town. So I think you could fit almost the entire town in the auditorium. Yeah. Yeah. This was before the day of sound systems and all of that. So he had to be quite the orator to fill that uh, that auditorium up with his yeah. voice. Yeah, and he started he started some uh, what he called summer conferences, where he was calling Christians together to pray, to worship, um, uh, to study God's word together, and just discern the Holy Spirit. Those grew to a level where he felt like he needed a new facility, so he built this 2,300-seat auditorium, which ended up being too small. Uh, most of the conferences he held there were standing room only, and they would open the doors on the side of the auditorium, and people would stand outside to listen. And so uh, that's what the D.L. Moody Center is doing. We are we're echoing D.L. Moody's call to uh, believers to study God's word, to pray together, to worship and to really discern where the Holy Spirit is taking them. And it's all in the spirit of Dwight Moody. We also preserve the property, and we have uh, the D.L. Moody Digital Archives Project, where we preserve his letters and papers that are free to the public. People can access that on our website. Uh, But ultimately, we're really in this to echo D.L. Moody's call um, to build the church and to be people of the kingdom and really just to be useful to God. Mm. You know, I'm uh, looking at a quote that his teacher spoke over him in his life, looking back, and uh, that teacher was Edward Kimball, who said, I can truly say, and in saying it, I magnify the infinite grace of God as bestowed upon him that I have seen fewer persons whose minds were spiritually darker than was his when he came into my Sunday school class, and I think that the committee of the Mount Vernon Church seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely <laughs> ever to become a Christian of, of clear and decided views of the gospel truth, still less to fill any extended sphere of public usefulness. Now, that is quite a description of a young man coming in, looking troubled, looking dark in his heart, and yet look what God did in his life. Yeah, in a short 62 years. Yeah. Uh, and, and really even less than that. Um, My God used El Moody quite powerfully. Well, I appreciate your study of him, and I think that's so helpful to have such a, a person that we can look back on and study their work and get to know what what they saw. And, and you know, we can learn so wonderfully from people. Uh, I have one guy, that uh, one friend that, that said it this way, we can study dead guys <laughs> and learn a whole lot. And I think that is so true. Finding their work, knowing what was going on in them, uh, that's that's such a help. Agreed. Yeah. Well, uh, this holiday season is here, sir, and we all know it. It's now just, a, what, 10 days away? And uh, that's hard to believe. 10 days away from today <laughs> is Christmas yeah, Sunday. And that, that just doesn't seem right. Uh, especially in Florida when we've been having 80-degree weather. So (laughs) that might make you a little bit jealous. I'm not sure. But uh, (laughs) when you think of the holiday season and all of the hindrances that happen, again, I was talking with another person just recently, and we were discussing the fact that it's this time of year that so many people really struggle with depression and anxiety and sadness, actually, sadness of the heart because of maybe loved ones that have gone or 
maybe family situations that's struggling, and they look around and they see the the glowing lights of the Christmas tree and all of the fun, people seemingly having a great time, and they don't, and they're not. And that can cause a lot of problems. So whether or not any of our listeners are facing that level of hindrance, or perhaps they're just too busy at work, this can really be a time, isn't it, where people are hindered in their walk of faith? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have my family with me um, during the holidays. But um, it's certainly foreseeable that there will be a time when, you know, my wife and I's family is going to be smaller. Um, just, uh, you know, we have uh, parents who are getting older. We have um, different friends who are getting older. And so um, times will change. Yes, they do. That, you know, part of the challenge of the holiday seasons, particularly in the United States, which is really the only context I can speak to, is just the, the sort of sentimentality that comes when we focus on family during the holidays. You know, the holidays, and particularly Christmas, I would say, are really not about our family. We may celebrate with our families, we may celebrate with our church congregations, but Christmas is about the celebration of Jesus coming in human form. Mm -hmm. And I personally think that when I get down around the holidays or when the holidays don't meet my expectations, it's because I've started to think of them as something that is for me, something that should really do something for me, as opposed to thinking about them as a reason to focus in and really worship Jesus, to recognize what sacrifice he actually made mm -hmm. and try to learn more deeply how to emulate that. And That's so well said. when I look at, when I think about this, I, I usually go to Philippians 2, which is not your go-to Christmas passage. Um, but <laughs> Philippians 2, you know, it talks about Jesus and the decision. He has this equality with God. But he does not believe that that equality with God is something to be grasped or to be used to his advantage. And so instead of holding on to that equality, what does he do? He gives of himself. He exercises self-giving love and comes down and becomes human, becomes obedient even to death on a cross. And through all of that, because of all of that, God then glorifies him above every name. Hmm. And I think that that is, it speaks to this interesting logic that I think we're supposed to live out during the holidays, that self-giving love results in God's glorification. It's an odd equation, but it feels like the more we give up, the, you know, and the more we give up for others, the more we give of ourselves, the more that we are going to understand what it means to be like Christ. Mm -hmm. And the more we can expect to see from God the Father after this life is over. Mm. And so I just think that as people approach the holidays, that's the logic that I would encourage. You know, all the gifts that we buy, all the, all the things that we do, these aren't meant to be distractions in sort of the Mary and Martha sort of sense, right? Where there's all of this busyness that's around us and all of a sudden we forget to sit at Jesus' feet. But I think that gift giving and serving during the holidays are intended to be extensions of and imitations of Jesus Christ, who gave of himself 
because he just didn't feel like what he had was worth using for his own advantage. He wanted to give it away. And that, that to me is, is what keeps me a little bit more grounded and sober during the holidays. You know, when you think about it, that was his very purpose for coming as he did in the first place. Was, 100%. You know, because of the fact that God so loved the world, you talk about gifts and receiving a gift. Uh, I walked into my office this morning before going up to the studio and was greeted with our receptionist who handed me a gift that one of the other people there, it was an unexpected gift and uh, it was a great gift. I might add a fact is a couple of great gifts. Uh, I loved it, but I'm thinking when I, when, when something like that happens, that causes me to pause for a second and realize that what the father gave us was truly a gift of proportion that we can't even comprehend. We can't even get our brain around how valuable the gift of Christ has been and is and will forever be for our lives, both here and in eternity. That's right. I mean, it's it's sort of unfathomable. And I think the only way for us to truly get a, even a glimpse of what it means is to do it ourselves. It, it can't just be something that we grasp intellectually. You know, it can't just be a proposition that we throw out there. Yeah, God loved the world and he gave us his son. Mm. And that's what we're here today. It has to be something that we do, actively do. And uh, I, I will say, I mean, I think I've learned this over the last uh, couple of years. Um, my uh, wife has always wanted to do foster care. Um, and so we've had um, different kids with us over the last few years. And um, I'm not what I and everybody who knows me knows this, I'm not kid friendly. Um, you know, I sort of, I'm sort of bookish and, uh, I like my time alone and I like peace and quiet. And right. I love my kids, but man, adding another little kiddo to the mix would not be my first choice, but I will say that my wife had wisdom beyond me. And, uh, and I think, you know, in her heart of hearts knew that at the end of the day, for me, giving up some of those things to really care for a kid who didn't have anybody else would change me in ways that I didn't really even expect. Uh-huh. And that too is it, well said. Yeah, it's just it's it's one of those things where you sit back and you go, Yeah, I knew all these things. I mean, I've I've had twelve years of theological training, right? But I don't know that I ever truly grasped the sacrifice that Jesus made until I started doing it myself, until I really truly started imitating him in doing it. I didn't grasp it. Well, it's easy not to. It's easy to get caught up in the materialism of our culture at Christmas time, and and even the whole thing about gifts. We we're talking about that, but that can get distorted as well when when you look at the consumerism that's out there, and uh, it's on the rise like nobody's business. Stores are opening earlier. They opened what uh, a week or two before Thanksgiving this year with early Black Friday. I mean, we didn't even wait for Black Friday to come in. We were doing it <laughs> pretty soon. We're going to be doing it August 1, you know. It's going to be our Black Friday. It's crazy. <laughs> well, you know, and it's such an oddity because I think sometimes, and, I, and I'm not against gift giving or gift getting. Um, you know, I, I think um, giving and getting gifts at Christmas, it, it can be a really powerful activity. But sometimes I wonder about it. I mean, this year um, we decided just to, uh, within our, you know, sort of in-law group 
Um, my, my wife has a sister and, a, you know, we have a brother-in-law and those kind of things. And we used to do stockings for each other where we just sort of right. buy each other trinkets. And um, we decided this year that that was probably more trouble than it was worth that we could, you know, I could buy my own razors and shaving, shaving cream and, um, you know, they could get their own chewing gum. And <laughs> like, we didn't need to go through the hassle of buying each other these little trinkets because it, it became a chore. It became something that we just had on our list that we would do. But it didn't really mean anything to any of us. And so while we're still going to get each other, you know, a gift, we're not doing some of the other things that just sort of take up time uh, to go out and shop for little goofy trinkets that none of us really wanted and never used anyway. That's uh, really true. And those can, you know, they seem like little things in the moment, but all of that together can add up to where it is like a stress on you that if you don't get it done, you feel yeah. that stress and it, it, it affects us more than we realize. It's odd. I mean, who would have thought shopping would be the most stressful thing in our lives? But I think around the holidays, sometimes it becomes that because we get so consumed with trying to find the right gift or, you know, what would this person want or that person want? Or, you know, have we gotten the equal number of presents for all of our, all the people we're buying for and those kind of things. And instead of just really making it an act of self-giving love, mm-hmm. we into something that you know is is a little bit of a perversion of what christ did for us because we're trying to sort of match the economics of the culture it's almost as if how much i spend on someone conveys how much i love them that's true yes it is so easy to get caught up in that and even the values of this culture uh, they they kind of smuggle their their way into our hearts and into our minds We've got to we got to watch that. We got to keep from it. We've got one minute before the break. What advice would you have to a parent, let's say, uh, of uh, a, an elementary a couple of kids in their home who they're feeling the tension and the expectations that young people can often bring? What advice would you have to a parent? No, I think number one, uh, continually reemphasize with your kids the the real meaning of Christmas, like refocus them back on Christ, tell them the stories, even if they haven't accepted Christ yet, hearing the stories and helping them understand what you're doing um, is, I think, a good practice. Ultimately, I think there are some times where kids are just too young to really understand all of it. And so it's up to us just to model that for them, help them understand that we're not feeling anxious or frenzied or frustrated about any of this, um, but that we're calm and enjoying Christmas and worshiping Christ at Christmas. And this is what Christmas is. And so a lot of what I would recommend is just figuring out ways to model to elementary school kids or or whomever um, the sort of calm and peace and contentment that Christians really can cultivate at Christmas. That, to me, is the best advice I could give. Oh, and that is great advice indeed. We're going to pick up on that calm spirit in a moment when we get back. My guest is Dr. James Spencer from the D.L. Moody Center, and we'll be right back after this break. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top-trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. 
On the phone with me, Dr. James Spencer, director of the D.L. Moody Center up in Massachusetts, Northfield, a beautiful area, I've been told, and I've never gone to Massachusetts. It's one of the spots, man, I've just got to do at some point, get up in the Northeast, because it is just gorgeous up there, I hear. It's pretty and it's historical. Uh, I mean, you you know, you can almost throw a rock and find something of interest from American history up in the Northeast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we were talking at the end of the segment, something that I've got to come back to, because uh, I, as I mentioned to you in the break, I, I just felt like you were speaking to my own soul in that last segment about uh, as a parent and as a husband, not forgetting to stay calm, not forgetting to have peace in our mind. And I think really when you get right down to it, that is one of the hardest things to do when one finds themselves busy in the holiday bustle. The first thing to go is the peace and joy that can fill our hearts and minds. And the second thing to go is the real purpose for the season to begin with. We can just be so busy that we forget about the deep meaning and and really not able to appreciate the fact that the Lord came in that first advent. He came so that we could have life and have life more abundantly. Isn't it ironic that so many enter this season with anything but an abundant life? an abundant joy. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you know, I go to Philippians 4, 7, um, says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so when I think about that peace of God, um, in the way it's described as surpassing all our understanding, Hmm. I think part of our confusion, part of our problem when we're in those moments is, um, we're dealing with the possibilities that we can see um, right before us. In other words, we're we're sort of limiting the range of options and outcomes based on what we think we could bring about. We're in the driver's seat and we're saying, well, we could turn left, we could turn right, but we can't turn our car into an airplane and get through this obstacle. <laughs> That's <laughs> right? right, yeah. Uh, although I've, I've fantasized that many times, <laughs> living in the day of the Jetsons and just wishing my car could sprout wings and get me through the traffic a little quicker. That's right. And I, and I think when we do that, though, I think when we, when we lean back on our own capacities, when we think about it in terms of just what we could affect in life, it, it gets worrisome because we start to run into our own limitations. Um, we start to run into our, our, our own lack of capacity to actually fix a broken world. And I think part of what God gives us is this peace that surpasses our understanding. And when I think about that, part of what it means um, to have a peace which surpasses our understanding is just this, that we have no idea how God is working in and through us in any given moment, but we know that he actually is. Ah, and so good. In that, we find peace. And so it's not about our comfort. It's not about expediency. It's not about efficiency. You know, all these words that we like to throw around, especially in the business world, right? Strategic or tactical or efficient or what have you. Not really about any of that. Um, you know, the peace of God, which surpasses all the understanding, is just about patience, endurance, faithfulness, and trusting that even though I have no idea what God is doing, He's doing something better than I could ever think of doing myself. Mm. So true. Now, you're and your family, 
you have these children, some of your own, and as you mentioned, you're you're kind of uh, doing that whole thing of being a foster parent, and and that is that's so commendable. I really do, and and tell your wife congratulations for us because that is such a a wonderful way of uh, kind of sharing out of your own selves uh, to someone less fortunate. That that could be seen with some families as a type of, of a ritual that they feel really brings them closer to God. Uh, so many people for many, many years had family kind of use the word ritual or, or, mm-hmm. or kind of happenings that they would do in their family. What uh, do you think is a worthwhile uh, thought or maybe a habit or a ritual that a family could come uh, into this year if they've never done it before that might help in all that we're talking about today? You know, one of the things that I've started doing, especially with my girls, so my son went through Awana and uh, knows a lot of the, the biblical stories actually quite well. And But my, my daughters didn't. Um, we just weren't at a church that had it. So one of the things I've been doing, particularly with my daughters, is um, taking time to just start walking through the biblical stories with them. And that's been a really great time um, where they can ask questions of me and I can um, kind of help them understand what we believe and why we believe it. Um, I think that's a worthy ritual for any family to go through. Mm-hmm. Sit down and start, even if you can't, you know, explain everything, um, explain what you can. Um, reading the scriptures, really understanding the overarching story as a family, I think has been really helpful for us. Um, and so that's been a, a fantastic time for us. I think the other thing that we do now, I, I, we have four children, um, three biological children and one foster child. Um, our foster child's two years old. And so, you know, uh, sometimes I joke that I am the Uber dad. Um, <laughs> I, I could ride uh, different places. And I will admit, you know, sometimes that begins to feel like a chore. But really what I think we've turned it into is times for conversation. That's right. Uh, when, we're, when we're taking a drive, um, we don't really, occasionally we'll listen to the radio or something like that. But a lot of the times we're just talking to one another. And, and I think that as we engage in those sort of little practices, some of the practices that you might, you know, see as throwaway practices, right? Like, oh, you talk to each other in the car, congratulations. But I, I think they, those are really can be more formative in a lot of ways than the big gestures and the big moments. Uh, they take up very little time. They require very little preparation. They're far more natural. And so I think I'd encourage uh, families to really look for those moments, um, using the time that you have available to really connect with one another and, and just sort of figure each other out. I, I have found that to be extremely powerful, particularly with my children. Beautiful. You know, we did something very similar when uh, my son, who at this point, this would have been the early 80, uh, 90s, somewhere around 92, 93, we uh, had to take him to a class that was a couple of times a week on the other side of town. And yeah. so if the first, it was like, oh man, that is going to really be difficult to our schedule and then I did just what you're talking about. I began to look at it differently. And, and so I decided that what we were going to do that semester for that class is that I was going to use that time with my son one-on-one. I was going to drive him there. My wife would pick him up. I would take him. And in the morning, dealing with the traffic and all, uh, I would take him through the lineage of Abraham and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And yeah. uh, I be that year, I walked him through all of the stories and I would tell him. And then at the end, right before we get to uh, the class, I would say, okay, let's do a quick recap. And then the next day we would recap what we talked about the day before. And you know what that did? It not only taught him the story and gave him a love for the Old Testament. When he got to be a teenager, I found that he wanted to, if if I was going to make a run to a, a gas station or something, he wanted to go along for the ride and talk about yeah. what was going on in his life. Yeah. It, it's really amazing. I mean, I think it's, it's odd time. I mean, I don't know that it's, you know, every dad's fantasy to drive his children around all over the place, but it's become one of the most precious moments I can think of with my kids. I, I actually miss it when somebody else drives them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just enjoy the time. It's just a concentrated, they're, they're sort of held captive in the car and, uh, and we can talk and um, it's really fantastic. So, yeah, I would encourage people to use those sort of found times, right? Don't view it as just a chore to drive your kids around or a chore to take them places or what have you. I think it's more impactful on our kids than we think it is um, when we actually enjoy the time we're spending with them, even when that time isn't something we prefer to be doing. Beautiful. Uh, I am sure your kids benefit from that so much, as did mine. And and I really do encourage all of our listeners to Find those kind of rituals that you can do with your children that is not only going to become a meaningful thing to them later on, it's going to give them the tools today and this year to kind of deal with the very stresses that they go through. I think it's so easy as parents, see if you agree with this, it's so easy getting caught up with our stresses that we fail to realize what stresses our kids are feeling. We can think, ah, they're young. They don't have any stress, but they really do. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we're we're starting to see some of those. I mean, the more extreme cases are, you know, the increases in uh, in suicide amongst young males, particularly. Um, just had another one the other day, uh, Twitch, who was on a, a fairly um, So You Think You Can Dance, I believe he was on. And, yeah, that was uh, a shocker. Yeah, and so, you know, my wife texted me that and just said, hey, we just need to keep this in mind with our with our son, you know, because these things can come out of nowhere. And I, I think it's part and parcel of just they're feeling stressed and pressure um, in ways that we don't realize. And so continually staying up with our kids and, and paying attention and not taking for granted that they're going to be okay like we were, mm-hmm. I, really important thing uh, for us to keep in mind as parents. It really is. I'm talking to Dr. James Spencer. We've got just a couple of minutes left. Uh, when you look over the next couple of weeks, sir, what's on tap for your family? What are you guys going to be doing? Are you traveling this year or is it all happening up there in Northfield? You know, uh, I I am the one person in my family who is not a skier. And so we, we take the kids uh, to a, a ski mountain um, near oh, us. Oh, man. Of, uh, the kids enjoy skiing. I hang out in the lodge usually and read a book um, to avoid broken legs and broken arms. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, that that's we'll do that after Christmas. And then uh, my wife and I are going to take a little uh, long weekend actually, uh, just coming up. Head over to New York and uh, see the Rockefeller Tree and just enjoy some time together over the next couple of days. Now that's so, really a beautiful sight to see New York at Christmas time, isn't it? It's very pretty. We we've done it a couple other times, and so this year we just decided, hey, let's uh, let's take a couple of days. It's been hectic, 
let's get away for a, a few days and just enjoy some time together. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to this Christmas and uh, just really excited to be able to spend it together and um, celebrate the birth of Jesus as a family. Do you take the rail or do you, do you drive? I'm I'm a driver. Aha. Uh-huh, okay. No train yeah, for you. Okay. Get it. Uh, New York's opened back up uh, quite a bit from what it was a couple of years ago when it was for the most part locked down. I mean, that was a weird time. Was it not seeing all of the stores closed in Manhattan and oh my goodness, what a time that was. We definitely put off some travel during that period. Um, because we just didn't, um, we didn't really know what it would be like to travel. And so uh, it's nice to be able to get back to it. I agree. Tell us the website, contact information, all that with D.L. Moody. Yeah, so um, I, I we have uh, a couple different websites that you can, you, your listeners might be interested in. Number one, we put out a free uh, guide called Becoming Useful to God. It's based on the book that we referenced during the show. And they can get that at moodycenter.org backslash useful to God. Uh, it's moodycenter.org backslash useful to God. And then um, I uh, I recently started my own weekly radio program on uh, on a station out in Colorado. Did you? And yeah. So uh, listeners can uh, can check that out live, and we're uh, we're going to be uh, putting those out on podcast as well. But they can find that at usefultogod.org. So usefultogod.org or usefultogod.org. Yep. All right, Dr. James Spencer, thank you, sir, and a very Merry Christmas to you and your family, and may God's blessings be not only on you, but your fine work that you do at the D.L. Moody Center. And we thank you for being here with us today. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's great to be here and a great conversation, so thanks for having me. All right, God bless you, sir, and friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. 